Welcome to the second season of the podcast Sources and Sinks. You can get your podcast from wherever you listen into Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple, Stitcher or any other of your favorite podcasting sites. I, your host Alok, welcome you to yet another episodes of Sources and Sinks. June 11th 2008 Senator Mark Pryor has called for a hearing on the impact of spyware on computer performance and privacy Mr. Weaver Mr. Chairman members of the committee thank you very much for the opportunity to testify Let me let me start with a question that was raised earlier which is how large is the problem If we look at spyware and malicious code in general there is about 1.8 million pieces of unique code Now that's a large number but if you remember that about 800,000 of those malicious code came in all of last year so if you look at all the previous years last year represented the vast majority of those pieces of spyware and malicious code in the first 6 months of this year we've already surpassed what we saw last year in 2007 Automation has been rather one of the largest business phenomena driving a large part of industrial process over the last decade in the United States. In the IT sector itself, automation of regular repetitive tasks, something exemplified by business models of Amazon, Azure and GCP, has resulted in significant gains of productivity. However, this desire of automation also changes the nature of jobs significantly. So now in modern corporations, rather than regular repetitive tasks, one is expected to either implement or take advantage by the gain of such productivity this requires a much higher skill talent to be employed at both sides of the vendor customer equation as you have probably guessed my today's guest is a veteran of the security industry vincent beefer who himself has made this journey from having led security research and products at product companies like semantic and macfi for almost 24 years now to head security engineering at capital one hi vincent why do you think security leaders like you are making this transition from product companies to customer side of the house you know it's really interesting and and gardner recently called us out in their top 9 security and risk trends for 2020 the drivers are the shortage of skilled security professionals in the industry the general availability of really good high quality api automation and security tools and the increased use of machine learning techniques have all contributed to drive deployment of such automation in the enterprise environments we we often talk about how ai automates and augments human decision making across a broad set of use cases in the exact same manner we are increasingly investing in automation tools in the enterprise to augment the technology solutions provided by the vendors to help eliminate repetitive tasks and to enable us to focus our energy on the really critical security functions. Mm. So you and me have known each other from a McAfee days where you let security research at 
development teams. Do you think your relationship with engineering gets recasted now once you are on the other side of the house? My mission for leading teams at McAfee Labs and Semantic Security Response was to develop the best-in-class signature behavioral machine learning scanners, as well as automation for content creation, testing, cloud delivery to, to sustain those technologies. As such, you always have to balance the daily operational needs of threat research versus the engineering roadmap delivery capabilities and constraints. You could identify a new class of threat and add basic protection for the content or update a machine learning model for it fairly quickly. But engineering that protection in a robust way into a product solution takes time to develop and takes time to deploy into the field. It is really similar in the enterprise side where there's a constant tension between the daily operational needs and building up a robust and effective automation controls. It, it may not be as deep or as focused as the product engineering in a specific area, but it is equally as complex and it is much broader as it touches upon multiple control points in the enterprise. Mm. Okay, uh, so how do you see this the role of newly created functions such as security engineering, I mean, whose whole mandate is to protect just a single organization, I mean, unlike uh, what we see on the vendor side. Yeah, security engineering goes beyond automating the mundane and repetitive tasks. That's part of it, to gathering intelligence, performing deep analysis, taking automated actions where appropriate. The value comes from knowing the context of the enterprise. Where that asset is located, is it on the perimeter, is it internally? Uh, what could be exposed? What business value supports? There's a lot of rich context that we have available to us. Information security teams are no longer spending their days shifting through multiple dashboards and configuration schemes on vendor solutions. And instead, we're programming the APIs to gain those insights on a continuous and systematic basis, perform automated actions based on their defense technologies in a codified, repeatable managers. So today, teams are not met up with just information security engineers. They're increasingly composed of software engineers and data science who are all being trained in security practice because they can amplify and augment that capability. Hmm. So you have a very rich background. I mean, I remember when you joined McAfee in 2010, uh, you initiated one of the most effective quality automation project inside McAfee. So what were your goals at that point of time and what did you learn out of that? It's a really good question. At, at McAfee, we implemented a process that tackled not just the technology and, and the process gaps that you normally have, but also quality and culture gaps that exist in almost every organization. In our case, we focus first on false prevention process improvements. Um, how do we get better coverage improvements through the development cycles? All the way back to how do we start with developers? How do they think about design? How do we test it along the way? It's our version of shift left. At the exact same time, we systematically improved false rates with automated contents, earlier identification and greater coverage. We also improved our release cycle time significantly so we could identify and respond to pre and post production issues much faster than ever before, thus enabling a more effective learning cycle. Our goal was of course to first prevent quality issues wherever possible, but then detect and remove any remaining issues as quickly as possible. 
at each step, we developed feedback loops to measure quality. So the whole system became a continuous improvement framework, a self-learning framework. We knew that this process had to start with the content generators and developers. We had to get them educated. And we had to think about the quality from end to end. That was our version of shift left. And that was the basis of what we implemented back at McAfee. Mm. And I do remember that one of the key need at that point of time, since I was part of the group, that to educate and involve engineering teams with respect to quality security outcomes of their work. Uh, they, what they did had an immediate impact on the customers that they're serving. So how do you expect security to be inserted now your other side of the house as in Capital One development process or banks similar to that? Yeah, it's interesting is the challenge and the solutions for engineering are largely the same, whether you're talking about a large financial institution or you're talking about a technology vendor. What is really different is the scale and the depth of the issues to be tackled. Capital One has gone through a major technology transformation over the last decade. Um, it's increased its digital capabilities since 2011. It expanded its technology staff from around 2,500 to about 9,000 uh, today. And that includes not just software engineers, but AI experts among many other skill sets. I may not need to build every component of the technology stack to protect the enterprise, as I can leverage vendor solutions, but it's not that dissimilar to a technology vendor who partners OEMs with a component for their solution. For everything we build or support, we have to consider product quality and security as a key engineering performance factor. Every release or update has to be an engineering control. It should be measurably better than the previous one in terms of quality and security goals. Our plans need to be an integral part of the delivery lifecycle. You need senior leadership engagement and reviews of the delivery process. You need a strong support for the quality and security improvements, including well, agile development, peer reviews, unit testing, static and dynamic analysis. So I see the similar challenges. I am really grateful to have the opportunity and support at Capital One to really build a, a really robust program. That's exciting. So uh, let me kind of follow up slightly more on one of the topics. Developers and engineers, and you know it better than most, are usually motivated on the idea of delivering their projects, getting their coding, delivering their project. How do you think they can be motivated, incentivized for security for something that is uh, not and they don't see an immediate outcome. It might be much ahead when the, uh, the product is in operation, but slightly removed from the context. You know, the, the relationship between developers and security has traditionally been like teams on opposite sides of a tug of war, each of them pulling at the other side until one wins and one loses. At one end, the developers are pulling hard to produce functional products at breakneck speeds. Well, the other end, security is pulling hard to ensure the product is as secure as possible. It doesn't have to be that way. First and foremost, you need to move security to the top of the leadership agenda. The aim is to show that how increased software security prioritization will, will make the team cycle actually more agile while negating the need for any preventable last minute security issues or remediation. Secondly, you need to make sure the developers are engaged and trained to deal with security issues in their code. 
if developers can see the actual risk and consequence of security vulnerabilities, they're far less likely to invest their time to get educated and, and prevent them from happening in the first place. Security has to be embedded throughout the whole development cycle, from initial design patterns to coding, initial testing, all the way to production. It's not about either or, or. It's, it's a win-win when it's done in conjunction from the very, very beginning. Mm. So let's, uh, no, that was very insightful. So let's move to a different topic. Uh, you had seen your share. I mean, it, your uh, uh, career has spanned more than 20 years, at least what I know about uh, in the field, just between McAfee and Semantic. So you have seen your share of successes and failures on use of machine learning as in security products. So let's start with this. In your experience, what kind of use cases will you count as failures? That's a really interesting question. It puts me on the spot to think about it. But here's what I would think about it is, when we first started thinking about deploying machine learning, it was way back in the late 1990s. Um, we used it to drive behavioral detection in the traditional AV engines. Uh, those solutions had a performance impact on the machine. They were relatively ineffective given the amount of time it took us to train new models. Uh, we didn't have the computing power in the PCs at the time. And frankly, we could build and deploy signature-based heuristics at a much faster rate. And in general, though, it had far less impact on the PC. So in, in general, while it was a good idea and it was a feature, it wasn't that successful in terms of changing the industry. Mm. We really needed numerous things to happen that, that changed that. The, the advent of higher computing, the general availability of machine learning expertise, the knowledge around what a successful programs will be, all of those came later. And, and once they came along, we were actually far more successful. Okay, so uh, the next obvious question, what you will count as your big success. Do you have a product in mind or something like that? Yeah, we, the industry had a great success using machine learning over the last many years. Um, and certainly in, in our case, uh, over the last five to six years, we're able to implement you know, machine learning in spam detection, in endpoint protection, in network security analytics. We've actually had numerous ones. I personally started the latest ML journey back in about 2010 while I was on the vendor side. We're looking at the, at the time it was obvious to us that signature-based engines were going to have a limited timeline. What was our future going to look like? And so we started on the ML journey. It was apparent to us at the time, the main challenge was going to be the time it would take us to re-engineer products to expose the data and signals that were required to be able to enrich the ML models. Um, also the backend cloud services that we need to support the ML models. So we had to look at all of the aspects around, not just could we create models, could we implement certain things, but did we have the ecosystem to support that journey? Now the, the cloud journey was accelerated by adoption of cloud services like AWS, Azure, and GCP. But it did take us quite a while to design and build enabling technologies into our product roadmaps. But once we had the APIs and once we had the data and signals available to us, we were actually able to rapidly accelerate deployment of ML models into those cloud-enabled services. So at that point, it became a lot easier, a lot more repeatable. And frankly, we were able to innovate at a much faster rate. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that uh, has been uh, 
something which has contributed significantly to Macri's success as, as it were. So now you have done security research for a really long time. I would uh, struggle to count uh, folks who have the level of experience that you have. So based on that experience and based on the foresight that you have, what are the top three problems that you would like new security companies to solve? You know, as, as I kind of think about society in general, and, and what am I worried about from a security perspective? The first on my list is the privilege of these smart internet-enabled consumer devices. They're really spreading and being adopted far faster than they can be secured. You know, with the provision of these unsecured devices, the attack surface increases by hundreds of thousands of times. And, and we're not really learning our lessons of the past in terms of how we think about them, how we design them securely from one go, and we're increasingly adopting those both in our homes and our offices. That's one area. I also worry about the uncontrolled access to personal data that, that not only exposes us to cyber attacks, but, but ultimately it can cause people to lose faith in our movement to digital society. So if at the end of the day, I'm afraid to do online e-commerce because I'm worried about my, my data being exposed, then that's not in our best interest. So how do we secure that? How do we look at it? We've also seen in recent months just how reliant on, we on the highly interconnected delivery models and supply chains. And, and I worry that we're going to see future attacks that, that not only disrupt, but maybe also undermine the integrity of those supply chains, especially when we think about state actors versus other actors. So there's definitely a number of things I think about in terms of the future and where we might go from a cyber attack that goes beyond the ransomware attacks or the phishing attacks we see today to what are the things we should worry about as a society? Okay. Well, that's uh, actually based on that. Uh, I'm sure you have already thought about uh, there are issues and that you won't solve and you have already kind of indicated about that. So if I had to ask you about to make some security production for this year, and especially this unique year, what are the top three security issues that the industry will face? What is remaining of this year? Yeah, we've already spoken to some of these in the podcast, such as we really need to adopt you know, automation and integration in cybersecurity, as well as the growing importance of, of cybersecurity itself in terms of how we think about society. Um, but, but from a threat perspective, I think about how the attackers are increasingly applying AI techniques to help create custom malware designs to evade you know, defenses, help spread new attack campaigns by predictable vulnerable entry points. Uh, attack code is able to mutate itself as it learns about the environment. A good example of this is the Internet Trojan. It, its main distribution mechanism is spam phishing, usually via like invoice scams, that trick users the clicking on malicious email attachment. But recent updates to Immunet include stealing email data from the victim and then using that data and some machine learning natural language processing, it's able to send out contextualized phishing emails at scale. The insertion of the malware into pre-existing emails gives the phishing e email way more context, therefore making them appear far more legitimate to the victims. And, and that's the use of ML technology by the attackers. I suspect we will continue to see new 
exploits on IoT devices, as we have a long list of security issues, they are including hard-coded credentials, insecure wireless communication, unencrypted personal data, and unverified firmware updates. So, so certainly there's a rich pickings in terms of this IoT devices. But those are just two examples of things where I think we'll see more discussions around. And probably we talk about, you know, world virtual security conferences, we'll see some topics and a lot of discussion in the coming months. Thanks, Vincent. And I have to say, this is an educational uh, podcast for me. I have learned a lot more than I was at the start of this podcast. And uh, it's always a pleasure to host someone who has such a rich experience and insights about the security industry. So thank you, Vincent, for joining me on this podcast. Thank you, Alok. You are so welcome. It was great getting the opportunity to speak with you today.